So good to be back in this place. First Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to get right into it. The context of this great story in the life of David, it comes on the heels of David being anointed to be Israel's next king. David has also been playing the harp for Saul in chapter 16 to soothe his troubled soul because God has taken his blessing off of his kingship and leadership in Israel. When chapter 17 begins, apparently David has gone home from ministering to Saul because chapter 17 verse 15 says, David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And so this story in chapter 17, uh, most of us know this as the David and Goliath passage. And uh, this morning I'm going to be preaching on the subject of Christian warfare and in particular the battles that we face. If you'd stand please out of respect for God's word. Just going to read a few verses at the beginning of the chapter and then a few toward the end. The Bible says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a great, or there was a valley between them. If you move over to uh, later on in the chapter, verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him, speaking of Goliath, thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Verse number 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day into the fowls of the air, into the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, underline this phrase, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hands. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's bow for a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would uh, fill me with Thy Spirit and hide me behind the cross of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that as uh, this message goes forth, that it would be a help to some of these young people today. And Lord, I pray that You'd use it in a mighty way. Lord, if there's one here not saved, I pray that they would come to that realization and trust Christ. And Lord, for those of us who are saved, Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to make decisions in the valleys of life, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, young people, the reality is that we all go through battles in life. Some are physical battles. Some people have bad health problems. Um, some are spiritual battles. Obviously, I think every person in here, if you've made a decision to surrender to full-time ministry, you no doubt had to go through that process of God dealing with your heart and come to a place of decision, and you fought some spiritual battles to come to those realizations. Um, some maybe are dealing with a battle with a family member or an employer. Regardless of what type of battle uh, that you may be in, rest assured you're in one of three places probably. You're either uh, in a battle, you've just come out of a battle, or you're about to go into one. And um, we, as we consider this topic of battles, understand that some may be more intense than others. Some that you're going to face in life will seem absolutely overwhelming. I'm just telling you right now, when you get in the ministry, this school does, did a great job to prepare 
preacher boys and young ladies theologically. But I'm here to tell you there are things that you cannot get in the classroom that you will have to experience in the ministry. And I'm going to be honest with you. You're not going to know what to do in some of those instances. You better have some godly men that you can call and lean on. Fellas, okay? And so they're going to be overwhelming at times. But though we've had to fight spiritual battles, we have to remember this. In verse 47, David said, The battle is the Lord's. So we know we're going to be in the battles. The question is this, how are you going to fight the battle? And so you can either fight the battle in the flesh your way or... We can take some principles from this scripture passage and we can learn to fight the battles God's way. That is the great difference. If you're fighting the battles your way, you've made it your battle. But if you're fighting God's way, you understand it's His battle. It takes a lot of pressure off, by the way. And all you have to do is trust and obey. That's, that's kind of over, oversimplification. Yes, but it's true. This morning, my aim is to help you with the aid of the Spirit of God as I preach a message entitled, Whose Battle Are You Fighting? Whose Battle Are You Fighting? Young people, I'm going to give you these three thoughts. Number one, I want you to see the crisis. Number two, we're going to look at the contrast of questions. And three, the conquering. Let's begin by looking at the crisis at hand. First of all, understand there's always going to be valleys in our lives. It is not a reality to live on a mountain peak. It's wonderful on the mountain. Make no mistake, bask in the glow while you can, but living on the mountain over a continuous period is not reality. You are going to hit valleys in life. It could be the valley of defeat, and you will face defeat. My challenge to you is when you, when you fall, get back up. Either a righteous man falleth seven times, he getteth up. And so the valley of defeat, it could be a valley of decision. Maybe somebody here, you've got some decisions to make. I feel like my whole entire four years of Bible college, there was decision after decision. God was working on my heart, and I had to come to crossroads. Well, time to give that up. Yep, time to make this decision. Time to go that direction. As God's Word speaks to our heart, there's a valley of decision-making, a process that you will have to go through. It could be the valley of debilitating health. It could be... The valley of distress. Later on in 1 Samuel chapter 30, we see Saul comes back to Ziklag. The city's on fire. The wives and the children of he and his men have been kidnapped. And it got so bad that his own men were going to stone him. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You've got to learn how to do that. You have got to come to a place of Christian maturity when you feel like you're all alone in the valley that you have to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. But may I remind you that the God of the mountain is still the God in the valley. Amen. So there's always valleys. Number two, the enemy is very real and potentially life-threatening. Let's think about this situation. Uh, This enemy here, notice what the Bible says in verse 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Uh, there's different, a cubit was somewhere between 17, 18 and a half inches, Egyptian cubit, uh, Israeli cubit, so we're going to just go with 18 inches. A span is somewhere around uh, 9 inches. Goliath was probably somewhere around 9 feet, 9 inches, somewhere in that ballpark, okay? Now, 
Uh, my niece married Marco, and so one of the things when you come into the family is you get to be the guinea pig for illustrations. So I've asked Marco if he'd come down to the front. I want to, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy that's big into visual aid, okay? And so I think visual aid is a good, a good teacher. And so uh, I've got a stepladder and a tape measure, okay? I just want you to see how big this guy was. Because, you know, sometimes you read the Bible and you think, okay, that's a big guy. All right, Marco, so we're going to put this tape measure at four feet. We, we measured this last night, okay, at his house. Okay, so you stand on that, that tape measure, okay? All right, now, you put this four foot right at your chest, right, right there. We didn't want the tape measure to snap, and it's getting ready to. All right, now I want you to look at this. That, my friend, is a big dude, all right? Now, Marco's little, little of stature. But, but with the help of a tape measure and a step stool, we can see about how big Goliath was. Now, who's the tallest in here? Dave, Dave come up here, buddy. Come up here, buddy. I'm five foot seven. How tall are you, brother? Six foot eight. Six foot eight, yeah. So he would not be the point guard I would be. He would be the center. Come up here. and I want you to look at this. And no, no, that's Goliath's head. All right? That's pretty big, isn't it? All right, thank you. I'm going to be seated. Just give you a visual illustration. You just take those. All right, so that just gives you an illustration. He's a big guy, right? The, the devil has these champions in, in, in the that we face in life, and these champions are pretty big. Some of these enemies can be pretty overwhelming. They can be pretty uh, obstinate, and they can seem like a big, giant problem. Pun intended. Pun intended. The Bible says that this guy, listen to this now. Now, we don't know the weight of the, the differing weight between brass and iron and so forth, but he had, the Bible says in verse 6, greaves of brass upon his legs, target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a weight went before him. And so I've done a little estimating, the best that I can come up with. This guy probably had somewhere in the ballpark of 130 pounds of equipment when he had his spear. Now, I don't know about you, but I want you to try to think, guys, of carrying 130 pounds around in the battle. That's a lot of weight, brother. I'm telling you. That's a lot of weight. And so his armor, was, was, he, was, he was just a, a, a monstrous guy. I mean, he was a, a big guy, and he had all the weapons and, and a lot of weight. But look at chapter 17. This is what the typical reaction is in these overwhelming crisis situations. Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistines. Now, what words? Well, he stood in verse 8, cried unto Israel, said unto them, Why are you come out to set the battle in array? And not I... A Philistine, and ye the servants to Saul, choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. By the way, Saul should have been the guy down there. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and servants. I mean, this was an all-in confrontation. This was a one-battle deal. We're going to try to save lives. It's going to be between me and your champion, and whoever wins, the other will be the servant. A lot, lot, lot at stake here. In other words, and when Saul and all Israel heard those words and the Philistine, they were dismayed and what? Greatly afraid. Greatly afraid. Look at verse 24. And all the men of Israel. Now, last time I checked, all still means all. Every soldier in Saul's army, including him, when they saw the man, fled from him. And were sore 
afraid. The battles can not only be very real in our lives, but they can also be long. Now look what the Bible says in verse 16. The Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. It may be a 40-day battle. It could be just uh, anticipation of a battle. And there's a, think about those 40 days, morning and evening. Every morning, every evening, they were under the stress of the, of the uh, blasphemy and the challenge that Goliath made to them every day for 40 days. The enemy is relentless. Mark it down. You are not going to find Satan on vacation. He's relentless. By the way, his champion can be very, very loud. I read verses 8 uh, through 10. You can also see verse 23. As he talked with them, behold, there came up, as David talked with his brothers, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them over and over, morning and evening, morning and evening, 40 days. Relentless. Now, young people understand when we talk about the enemy, the devil's champion, when you get out in the ministry, guys, I can't encourage you enough, you better know what you believe and why you believe it. Brother Ogle and I have gone to school with guys that had the same chapel preaching we had and they are they're, they've quit on God or they've compromised. It's sad. And we're not saying that, hey, we're exempt. Okay? The same devil fights against us. The temptations that they had, we have. And I'm telling you, the devil's champion will mock you. He will belittle you. He will cause you to fear and doubt. He will tempt you to look away from God. And he will get you, attempt to at least, to try to change your convictions. Now, I don't have time to list every sin in the book, but I'm going to name a couple that's pressing current trends and issues that we're seeing in the ministry. First of all, there's this thing of alcohol. I've been ministering, Brother Kevin and I, he's my assistant pastor, we've been ministering to a family in our church, 80 years old, 78 years old. They were hit head on about four weeks ago by a drunk driver two miles from their house, who was also texting on her phone. And I'm telling you right now, I, I'm not saying this because I hate people, but I hate the devil and I hate the devil's drink. And there are young people that have come through this college that have gone out in the ministry and they have changed their position on alcohol. You better settle it right now. And I'm telling you, if you read your Bible and you just trust the Word of God, you're not going to find advocacy for alcohol. The Bible is against it over and over and over. But yet, as long as I don't get drunk. Oh yeah, I'm against drink. Listen, the Bible says we're to be filled with the Spirit. And I contend if you take one drink, you're not filled with the Spirit. You're, you're controlled somewhat. You may not be drunk, but you're not filled with the Spirit. I've told people, did you know that a glass of wine that you could get at Ingalls? has greater alcoholic content than strong drink of the Old Testament. Did you know that? And everybody just wants to say, well, wine is wine. No, it's not. They don't, they're totally ignorant of the words in the Scripture. Here's another one, the Bible. I'll tell you something, the King James Bible is not for sale. 
And I'm going to tell you, some of you guys are going to be tempted. You're going to get out there in the ministry and somebody's going to come, hey, man, we just got to get along with the current trends of the, of the day. No, you don't. You better know what you believe about this book. This is the perfect translation for English-speaking people. God didn't breathe again in 1611, but God is very capable to preserve his words accurately. Accurately. But the devil's going to have a champion that's going to come along and he is going to tempt you with that because we just can't, you know, we just can't seem to, people can't understand him. Hello, doesn't the scripture say study to show yourself approved? Here's the third one, music. Music. I did a, a, some reading here recently. Of course, everybody knows about these revivals were breaking out and all this and a lot of the music that goes with that I'm just not for. And this Hillsong Bethel crowd, uh, there's some people attached to that, a, a guy named Dooley. Uh, some of these people are from Australia. In the article I read, Darlene Zichek. Uh, in 2015, did you know that that crowd joined hands with the Pope at the convocation of the renewal of the Holy Spirit at the Vatican? And this guy Dooley said this, I think that anything that's encouraging young people in their spirituality is a positive thing. Look, I just think generally in church life, You've got to be relevant to each generation. Show me a chapter and verse on that. And I think any church is understanding that if we want to, I mean, if, if our message is going to be accepted by the new generation, then we have to relate to them in a way that they understand. Show me a principle in the scripture on that one. Listen, this book is relevant in every generation. You don't have to fit in. By the way, we're not called to make them accept our message. We're called to preach the message as it is and let God determine the results. They have a choice to make. They have to either accept it or reject it. We're not called to make them accept the message or lower the standard or drop the ball or soften the, the, the stance so that they might be more appealing. Listen, Jesus said, I, when I come, there's going to be division. got to be careful the bible says come out from among them and be ye separate saith the lord young people understand this the old paths are tried and true and they still work listen you heard brother monday a few weeks ago i went to school with him he planted a church in out in uh, colorado thriving thriving I, I just got off the phone yesterday with evangelist dwight smith he's at a church in california thriving things good things happening I planted a church in the middle of nowhere, Blairsville, Georgia mountains, and God is blessed. And we don't say that to brag except on the Lord. But I'm telling you, they still, the old paths still work. The old book still works. Prayer still works. Faith in God still works. Christ honoring music still works. And so we have a crisis. Number two, I want you to see the contrast of questions. In the course of this story, there's questions asked by David's brothers, and then in turn by David. And they, they really are contrasting each other, and, and they're totally opposite of each other. For example, if you look down in verse 25, David, you know, was sent by his father to bring the bread and cheese to his brothers there as they were encamped by Elah. And uh, in verse 25, this is because they're afraid, because, listen, they have their eyes on the problem instead of the God of the problem. They got their eyes and they're all afraid. And the men of Israel said, here's the question. Have you seen this man that has come up? My friend, that is a question of fear. 
It's a question of cowardice. Have you seen this man that has come up? But look what David says. David spake to the men. <laughs> what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? He's not talking, asking this question of uh, what if. I mean, it's, it's not like a doubt. It's a question, really, of patriotism. It's a question of courage. What shall happen to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? I mean, you can see the faith and the courage and the valor and the passion of David as a patriot. It's also a question of faith. In verse 28, the brothers, probably feeling a little shamed at this point by the questions David asks, they change the focus. And by the way, that's what cowardly Christians will do. When you confront them on the truth, they'll change the subject. They'll shift focus. All right? And these men have seen it. And so look at verse 28. And Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart. No, he doesn't. You know what? Because God says David was a man after his own heart. Eliab didn't know his brother's heart, and we don't know people's hearts. You know, there are, there are people that have a right heart motive, but they still might be doing it the wrong way. But this was a change of focus from their unbelief and fear. And they, they call David a prideful, naughty young man. And so these are questions of resentment. They resented him even being there. They resented the challenge that he posed in his questions. And then in verse 29, we see David gives us some questions that shows conviction. He says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And young people, listen, when you realize that in the ministry, there's always a cause for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm preaching through the book of Jude in our, our uh, church, and it says in verse 3, earnestly contend for the faith. There is always a cause if Christ is involved. And we have got to take the banner and hold it high and not be ashamed of who we are and what God has called us to do. And it showed conviction. So as we think about as we diagnose the situation, David's brothers and the men of Israel, King Saul, were men of fear and unbelief. They had their eyes solely fixed on Goliath of Gath. Furthermore, David's brothers were jealous, tried to divert the focus away from themselves and their cowardice towards David by accusing him of pride and naughtiness. David, however, was a man of courage, conviction, and faith. There's no doubt about it when you read his questions. Just they contrast each other. So when you're in life's valleys and you're facing a crisis situation, whatever the valley may be, are you fearful? Now look, that is the human tendency. I'm not saying that I've never been fearful. I'm not up here preaching that these men have never been fearful. We have to deal with our fears. Can I tell you that what Paul told Timothy, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hey, do you try to shift the focus off yourself and not deal with your fear by attacking other people? So we've seen the crisis. We've seen the contrast of questions. And now, thirdly, in closing, let's look at the conquering of the enemy. How do I conquer the enemy? How do I deal with the Goliaths of life as they come into my valley and challenge me, challenge my thinking, challenge my convictions, challenge my stand, Try to promote fear and discouragement. 
How do I have victory and conquer the enemy? Well, Paul told the Romans we are more than conquerors, so we know that it is possible. But here's what I think is, and I'm just going to be very simple, basic, take some things from the text. Verse 31, when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he, Saul, sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. He was volunteering. And so how do you conquer the enemy? Is Goliath still nine foot nine inches? Yes or no? Is he still coming out and challenging Israel on a daily basis? Yes. But David volunteered because he had faith and courage in God. What did God tell Joshua when Moses died? What big shoes to fill? Be strong and of a what? Good courage. Hey, he knew who he was about to lead into the promised land. A bunch of complainers. Do you understand? I mean, the battle's never going to get easy. A battle's a battle. It's always, it's supposed to be hard. But we have to have faith and courage in our God. So here's a question. Do you have faith only in God when everything's going okay? Now that's when it's easy to have faith in God. Man, when you're on the mountain and, and when the offerings are good and nobody's leaving the church and when there's no problems. Man, isn't that good, Brother Ogle? Boy, it's, it's easy to trust God then. But what about when somebody comes to your office and says, Preacher, I don't agree with that. Preacher, I just think you're too strict on that. Preacher, I just preach, 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 Hey, where's our courage? Man, I want to challenge you. Be men of courage. Be men of conviction. And don't compromise. And don't change. And don't straddle the fence. Draw your line in the sand and stand on God's side. You're not going to be popular. I'm just telling you right now. You will not be popular as a fundamental Baptist preacher. But you're not here to win a popularity contest. You're here to please the king. Compromise in ministry. Why? Because these cowards who want to start drinking, who want to change their music to the, the nightclub look and nightclub, you know. Listen, if you have to put smoke in your church budget, that's a red flag. I'm just telling you right now. They want to change their Bibles and boast of their intellectualism. I'm going to tell you what's the problem with these men. They don't have the courage to stand alone. That's the bottom line. They are cowards. They don't have the courage to stand alone. So we have to have faith in God and courage in the thing that we're, we believe in from the Scripture to have victory and to conquer the enemy. Second thing, we've got to put off things that won't help us. Look at, look at verse 39. Now you know what Saul wanted to do. He wanted to, to put his armor on David. Notice verse 38. Saul armed David with his armor. He put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. Now look, if this guy is nine foot nine and he's got a spear, that the head of that spear is about 60 pounds, I want to be as quick as I can to outrun that guy and to dodge that spear. I don't need all this stuff. You don't need all this stuff. And he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these. For I have not proved them. And David, listen, listen, write it down, mark it down, underline it. David put them off him. You see, when the crisis comes, here's what we're prone to do as preachers sometimes. We've got to get the latest self-help material from ChristianBook.com. 
we got to go to the latest seminar about church planning by doctor never done it. You know what I'm saying? And listen, just be yourself in ministry. Don't try to be somebody else. God made you the way he wanted to make you, and he's going to put you in the place where you're equipped. Listen, I was raised in the mountains of Virginia. I tell people I'm a cultured hillbilly. I understand North Georgia talk. Uh, I was with my brother-in-law. We, we pulled up to a guy to talk to him. He was on his riding lawnmower. He said, what you doing? Now, obviously, if a guy's sitting on his lawnmower, you know what he's doing, but that's just what they, that's how they agree. Hey, what you doing? Cutting the grass. I, I, thought, I thought he said cutting the grace. <laughs> cutting the grass. Talking about the grass. Hey, I can talk to lingo. Uh, and God put me, took me from the mountains of Virginia, and he put me in the mountains. I didn't even know Georgia had mountains. And the tallest point in the state of Georgia, Brasstown Ball, is right in our backyard, about 4,700 feet above sea level. It's a beautiful place. Now look, God put me where he wanted me to be. You know where God took me before he brought me to Georgia? Massachusetts. I had some great people in my first church up there, 14 of them, plus my family. God took me up there. I, I, didn't, I, I went up there with the intent to stay the rest of my life. God had other ideas. And I went through some valleys up there. And God brought me here where he, where he wanted me. I'm saying God equips you. Be yourself. Be yourself. Go to battle with God and his word. Now, who do you think would have stood with David here? Logically, of all the men of Israel, who is here that you would have thought would have stood with him and maybe encouraged him a little bit? His brothers. You'd think your family... Might be a little bit of an encouragement to you, but I'm going to tell you something right now. The old saying, blood is thicker than water. Well, let me give you something better than that. Bible should be thicker than blood. And you may have to stand against your own family. Or they may not like the way you're doing things. I'm just telling you right now, you better do it God's way. Please, please, please. I remember vividly in uh, Class, Dr. Surrett would tell us, guys, make sure you know your convictions and have it settled before you get into crisis. I can't remember how many times I heard that. That's stuck. And guys, don't wait and find out what you believe about things before you leave this place. Figure it out now. Because when you get into crisis, your flesh will be tempted to change. Positions, compromise, you better be more concerned with earnestly contending for the faith than you are about who you're gonna, who's going to accept you and who's going to like you and how popular you can be. Now, let's go on. So we have, we have, first of all, we have faith encouraging God to conquer the enemy. We have to put off that which won't help and just go back to the basics. Third thing is the name of the Lord. I'm so glad Brother Reem talked about the name of the Lord in that song because it goes right along with what I'm going to say. Let's look at verse 45. By the way, and I don't have time to preach this whole thing, but when, when David's trying to present his case as to why he should be the one to go out, he's not bragging. But I'm going to tell you right now, if a young man, a teenager, took a lion and a bear, and it says of the one, he, uh, he delivered the, the, out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear, and it says he took, it, he took that lion by the, the mane, if you will, that's a real man. I'll tell you right now. Guys, he'd make all of us look like a bunch of sissies. And he was qualified. Here's the deal. Here's another principle. 
he did some things in private before God put him on display in public. You better figure some of this stuff out alone with God before God will use you in a public arena. That's another message. But notice the name of the Lord. So he comes down here. He encounters Goliath. The Bible says that, verse 40, he took, all, he took his staff. Now, I brought a couple of things for illustration. In Psalm 23, the Bible says in that great psalm about the shepherds, he says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Okay? So the staff was used by the shepherd to lead. He could rescue. He could pull a lamb, maybe if it had fallen. The rod was to beat off the wolves. And so we have the rod and the staff. The scripture says in this, in this text right here, he took his staff in his hand and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook. I've been to Israel, went in 2019, and I've been to the Valley of Elah. This story is so vivid in my mind if you've seen that, that valley and the mountain that Israel would have been encamped on. And I went to the brook and I picked up five smooth stones. Now the Bible says David uh, took him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. Now, the Hebrew word for shepherd's bag is Ziploc, okay? <laughs> I don't have a shepherd's bag, but I got a Ziploc, amen? But these stones, are, they're really smooth. And if you've never felt one, I'll, I'll leave them up here. You just don't steal them, okay? Because if I don't have five, then I'm going to be upset, okay? And so, five smooth stones. This is the average size of the stones. Now, I'm gonna, that is going to do some damage, all right? I was thinking about having Marco come back up here and stand. I was going <laughs> to... I was going to take my necktie off and wrap this rock in it and see if I could see how accurate I could be. No, I'm just kidding. So think about it. David doesn't have a helmet. He doesn't have a sword. He's got a staff and a slingshot with a shepherd's bag. And in that bag was five smooth stones. That's all he's got. And the Bible says in our text, in the sling in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near to David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. When the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. He was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Now what is the, what is the enemy doing? Mocking belittling, making fun. Who do you think you are? That's exactly what these compromisers will tell us. Who do you think you are? Pfft. All you use is the King James Bible. Pfft. All you use is that old-fashioned music. Pfft. All you use is a hymn book. Really? Really? Amen. We ain't changing. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh into the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee. Get it? Where did he come to him in? The name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls. By the way, you don't say this unless you have faith in God. <laughs> this is a manifestation of where his faith is. In this statement. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear. David came to Goliath, listen, in the name of the Lord. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. 
Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. That beautiful name, that beautiful name. And we could go on and on with hymns and songs and spiritual songs about that precious name. That name which is above every name. That name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess one day that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brother Mason, you've told us about the crisis we face in life and the contrast of questions between David and his brothers. And you've showed us how to conquer the enemy from the text. But I want to end with the key to this whole thing. And that's in verse 47. He said, not only that all the assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and with spear. He says this, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle's the Lord's, young people. All the issues that preachers have to face and the compromise that we have to deal with and the problems that we have to deal with as we preach righteousness to our people and shepherd our flocks. The battle is still the Lord's. And if you try to fight those battles in your flesh, you're going to fall every time. Now, God wants to use us in those battles. And He does use us. David did go to battle here. David literally cut this guy's head off. So there is a real battle. And He will use us. But sometimes we're fighting God's battles in our own strength. And we have to stop trying to fight the battle in our own strength. And don't give up because you think it's hopeless. Because you will feel hopeless sometimes in the ministry. But can I remind you that you and God are a majority? It's the Lord's battle. Therefore, fight it His way. Fight it with faith. Fight it with courage. Fight it with the name of the Lord. And you're going to win. Why? Because Jesus promised us we are more than conquerors. Saul and Israel thought it was their battle. And what did they focus on? The giant problem. Literally. That brought fear and unbelief. And it literally crippled the entire armies of God. Because of fear and unbelief. Now let me ask you a question. Which is harder? To go to battle against the 9 foot 9 inch giant? Or to part the waters of the Red Sea and cross over on dry land and God destroy the armies of Pharaoh? Which is harder? Humanly speaking. I would say the Red Sea, okay? Uh, but God did that, and they knew that story, but yet they still had their eyes on the problems instead of the God of the problems. David knew it was God's battle. He was simply willing to be an instrument in God's hands. He showed faith and courage, and God honored that. I never will forget when I sat where you sit. I don't know what year it was, but it was sometime probably around 95 or 96 Jerry Savinsky was preaching in chapel, and he preached from Hebrews chapter 11 on faith. And he made this statement. He said, faith honors God, and God always honors faith. 